Jesus. I want to talk to you about what happened with Easter. Many of us are caught on the Emmaus Road after Easter. We don't realize that Jesus was raised from the dead, or we do, but it doesn't have that big an effect on us. Like Mark said, um, he was still in that spirit of Easter. I want to help you with something today, and I'm borrowing heavily from the work of a man named Neil Anderson, who did this back in the late 80s. He made a big long list, and we're not going to do the whole long list. But after the lesson today, there will be a list in the front foyer on the table and in the back foyer on a table. I want you to get the list. These, this is an incomplete list, but it's a very impressive list of what happened to you and who you are now because of the love of Jesus Christ and the resurrection story. You see, everything changed, but we sometimes don't feel like everything changed. And we have to talk about feelings, and we have to talk about facts. Developmental psychologists tell us one of the most dangerous times of life are the teen years. Not because being a teen is dangerous, no. It's because during that time, they will either establish their own identity or they will take one from the herd. And they, have, they, they call it ego identity versus ego diffusion. But the whole point is you will either establish who you are or you will let somebody else do it. And you don't want to let somebody else do it, but that's what most people do. Most people allow the crowd to tell them who they are, what they're worth, and that's awful. We need to stop for a moment and ask who we are. Not as a church. That's, that's important too. Not as, um, not as Americans or not as this. No, no, no. Who are you? Cosmically, metaphysically, who are you in reality? You know, some preachers will tell you that you're awful sinners. Other preachers will tell you that you're awfully perfect. And then some in the world will call you names because the world loves to label people. That's what it does. And it's going to call you sexist, prude, racist, liberal, conservative, radical, reactionary. It's going to throw names at you. That's what it does. The ancient Greeks had a saying. It really came from the Delphi Oracle. A lot of people think it was Socrates, but Socrates got it from there. And it was just simply, know thyself. Know who you are. Figure out who you are, or you are in danger of belonging to anyone with the loudest voice, the best sales pitch, or the most power at the time. I'm going to tell a couple of stories during this today. And we may not get through our list, and I, I've let our, uh, our wonderful team up above know that this, they don't have to panic. We may not get through our list. I'm going to tell you a couple of stories today. Some of you may have heard the stories before. These are true stories. Um, the first one is this. There was, this is back in the, the 60s, there was a competition about designing the house you'd like to live in, and the high schools did it. And it was just a way for architects to get people interested in becoming an architect. And this one girl in the Midwest did her best, and to everybody's surprise, she won best of her school. She'd never done anything like this before, didn't know she had any talent in it, but this was she was very pleased she won the best in her school. Then she won the best in her, her region. She won the best in her state. She was just mind-blown, this 17-year-old girl. And then the prize was she got a, a free bus ticket to Washington, D.C. And there in uh, one building in the capital city, I don't know which building it was, they were going to display all the winners of the 50 states 
And then, or at that time, I think 48 states, I had, we didn't even have the other two yet. And um, then they're going to be judged, and the big prize is a scholarship and all the other. Now, here's this 17-year-old girl that had gone from nothing to hero, pretty far and fast, and her head spinning. And as much as it terrifies people today, you used to put your kids on buses and you didn't go with them because there was no money to go with them. And they couldn't call or text you because the phone cord didn't stretch to Washington, D.C. And besides, it was a party line, so there's no opportunity to get on with Miss, you know, her down the street. So after a while, you know, she goes in, she's on her own, and she didn't win. And she didn't get second or third. She didn't get honorable mention. She got nothing. So here she is. They were displayed around this large cafeteria, sitting there not eating her lunch, wondering, how do I tell the folk back home? Because everybody thought, wow, 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 you've got this, you've got this. This is amazing. And I got nothing. I'm not good at this. When she saw an old man walk into the cafeteria, the old man started looking at each one in turn, including hers. And then he came back to hers, and he didn't know she was there, looked at it again, and he quietly said, I think this one's the best one. And he left, and her life was changed because she recognized the man. It was Frank Lloyd Wright, the greatest architect America had produced. If the expert has an opinion on you. Listen to the expert. The problem is we don't listen to the expert. We walk in the world, which is basically a collection of funhouse mirrors, and everybody's throwing back their reflection at us, and we're believing that. What is the truth about you? Because of Jesus' love and sacrifice, John chapter 1 and verse 12. Let's put that one up. You are God's child. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now I want to stop there. I'm going to tell another story, and then we're going to speed this up, because there's not going to be two stories per talk. We'll ne we'd never get through it, and we're, we're going to get through this. This is a story about baseball and my son. We lived in West Virginia at the time, and uh, loved our time there. And Duncan um, came up to me. He was about seven years old, I think. Uh, seven, maybe eight. I'm probably seven. And he said, I want to play baseball. And I said, why? Because I'd seen a game once. Um, I said, it involves scratching and spitting. I know that. But I'm not really, what else do you do? And he said, well, you know, I said, son, I can't, I can't teach you. I don't know how to, to play the game. And he goes, well, the, the county is forming uh, teams. And so they were. And I said, well, then sure. So they formed a team. This was not Little League. This was well below Little League. This was the Attention Deficit Disorder League, <laughs> where a, a shiny gum wrapper could go through the outfield and you'd lose the team uh, immediately. And so I, I would sit, you know, and watch this interminably. And, and frankly, um, there was there were no hits or runs or a lot of errors, but not, not much else going on in, in the team. And then one time, Duncan got up to, to, for his turn at bat again. Uh, and it's only fair to say there was not an air of anticipation in the crowd. 
because everybody just kind of watched the ball, is what they did. Um, and so they had a pitching machine, a little squishy ball, and it went thump, big old 90 degree arc. <laughs> you know, you got time, you can make a sandwich, here it comes. And uh, they had misaimed it a bit, and so it brushed on his arm. It didn't hurt him or anything, just brushed his arm. And the coach came out and said, you can go to first base now. And everybody came out of the dugout because nobody had seen anybody make that trip before. <laughs> and that was, pretty, that was pretty exciting, you know. And so uh, he's standing there and pretty excited. Well, they weren't quick learners in the league, to be honest. And so they didn't adjust the machine. Next kid gets up, bloop, here it comes. That's him. You get to go to first. So they're both visiting for a while before Duncan finds out he's supposed to go to the other one now. So he goes to the other one, he's standing there, and he's yelling at me, hey, da, I'm far. And I'm going, yes, you are. You know, um, he says, I can see our house from here. And I'm thinking, that's not our house, son, but fair enough. Uh, you know, wave, at the, wave at the boy. Um, then the third boy gets up. Now, they've adjusted the machine by now, but the third boy's not having it. He's terrified. He's seen two of his fellows go down. His, the little batting helmet's doing this. He's just, um, so bloop, and he falls into the fetal position. The ball comes down, hits the bat, rolls forward six inches. That's a hit. <laughs> now, it was the first one, so nobody had recognized what this was. The coach is yelling, run, you know, and uh, kids are leaving the dugout. But, uh, and he, Duncan's just standing there, doesn't know what, you know, so he's he run to home base, and Duncan, so he does, right over the pitcher's mound. And I'm eating there, and I grab him, I swing him around, and I hug him. Now, the coach is having an embolism, but I don't care. <laughs> Set him down, and I said, that was brilliant. They weren't expecting that. <laughs> now, Duncan's team were lousy. There were no hits. They didn't catch a ball. They didn't, but Duncan was brilliant because he's mine. Do you get that? He's mine. We went down to see him graduate from Paris Island, Marine Corps Basic. I didn't see anybody else. I saw my son. He's mine. That's the way God looks at you. You can look at him tonight and say, God, I dropped the ball. I didn't get a hit. I forgot the rules. I got distracted. I'm a mess. And he's going to look at you and say, you're mine. We are not saved by works, or by doctrinal perfection, or by worship brilliance. We are saved by relationship. And the, the empty tomb means you're his by blood. John 1, 12. There are so many more passages like this. We have been, uh, let's go to Romans 5 and verse 1. I have been justified since we have... Take a look at this. English is a fascinating language. We have been justified. When will you be justified? It's already, it's already done. You're justified. Now, if you don't get justified, uh, I'm, I'm going to talk over here to the teens for a while because even though most of you have forgotten what it means, they've never actually seen this used in, in writing before. All right, you, you don't need to read the words. Over here, this line straight... That's because it's justified. This one's ragged. It isn't. And it used to be when you typed, not a word processor, just a machine, a typed something out, you had to count spaces and then go back and retype it to justify it. 
to make it look nice. Now you hit a button and it's done. You might feel still ragged, but to God you look like this. You have been justified. When will we have peace with God? We already do. God's not disappointed in you. Now, it's all right if we sin to be disappointed in ourselves. We should be, and we should change. We should work on that. I'm not trying to say you're just perfect, shiny, happy people. No, we all know better. But we are at peace. We have time to work on what we've... We're not terrified that God's going to kill us for it. We have peace. What about the next passage? 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17. I am united. Whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. You may not feel that way, but you are. Let's look at the next one. 1 Corinthians 6, same chapter, verses 19 through 20. Do you not know that your bodies are, not should be, could be, have the possibility of, if you straightened out? No. Are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received, have received from God. Past tense. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, I know that I'm quite an old man now because I found myself, not intending to, but watching Antiques Roadshow and paying attention. <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming Cracker Barrel's in my future. Um, <laughs> so anyway, we were watching, and they brought out this little painting. And people, I wouldn't have given you 10 cents for it. It was a scenery, but it, it was poorly done. It was muddy looking. I went, eh, $300,000. Now, what was, the, what was it worth, $300,000? It wasn't worth my opinion. It's worth what the expert says it is. Let's even go further. It's worth what somebody will pay for it. As many of you have found out through the, your life, you may have a hobby where you make something or you restore a car or whatever, and you put a ton of money into it, but it's only worth what somebody will pay for it. What, were, what, what did somebody pay for you? You remember the crosses? That's what he paid for you. That's what you're worth. I don't really care what you feel. And you might say, I don't feel that worth it. Um, that's what he paid for you. We need to understand that what the world says about us isn't what the expert says. We all have seen pictures of the Mona Lisa. If you've ever gone to France to see it, you've been a bit disappointed. Small. Everybody thinks it's going to be this big painting. It's this little thing. And good luck seeing it because everybody goes in that room. The only way most people see it is to hold up the camera and flash and hope that uh, the guard doesn't see him take the picture because it's, it's small. Do you see the Mona Lisa, one of the classic beauties of all time? Let me ask you a question. If she walked into any modeling agency today, would they hire her? No. They'd look at her and say, no, we're not hiring janitorial staff at the present. But she's been classic beauty through the years. Don't listen to what the world says. Listen to what the one who made you, the expert, says. Oh, there's more. Let's look at Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 8. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed, look at all this past tense stuff, has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. How many spiritual blessings in Christ do you have? 
You got all of them. You may not feel it. Feelings don't matter. Facts matter. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship. Remember the baseball game through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us and the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood. Redemption's a church word. It means we've been bought back. We used to be something. We're not that anymore. Now we're in the family. We have the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished, past tense, on us. And God has not taken it back. The grace is still there. What about Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14? For he has rescued, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he lives, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The devil will always want to remind you of your sins. He will always want to remind you of your past. Your job is to remind him of his future and take God's word for it that you are forgiven and free. And then live that way. Too many Christians have just enough religion to be miserable. And then they wonder, why don't people come to church? Really? Because they can feel miserable out there. They don't need to do that here. What about the next passage? Out of Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Go talk to him. You can talk to him. Why? Because we have friends there. We've got friends in the throne room of God. His son likes us. Now, I'm not a runner. I know that's a bit of a shock. I'm not a runner. The only exercise I do is dodging responsibility and, and leaping to conclusions and that sort of thing. Um, <coughs> not exactly true. I did 12 sit-ups uh, yesterday, but I, eventually you got to quit hitting the snooze alarm and get out of the bed. Uh, but I, I'm not a runner. <coughs> Excuse me. Not a runner. However, Let's say I were. Let's say I was. And it's, it's a Summer Olympics. And you've got the best of all of them there, and you've got me. The gun goes off. I'll usually fall into a fetal position at that point. But then I realize it's time to run. And so I'm, I'm trying to run, and everybody else is lapping me. It's obvious I don't belong on the track. Some of them might even make comments as they go by. Um, then finally it's over. I don't even try to finish the line. I just stop where I am. And all the judges run over and put the gold medal on my neck. I'm going, all right, guys, you're taking it a bit far. <laughs> this is hurtful. And they're going, no, 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 no. The judge is your father. That's what this race is like, people. You may feel like the world's lapping you, and they're just tearing you apart, but the guy in charge loves you. And he's already decided you're going to win. Yay. That's good news. Oh, but we're not done. 
we're also secure in Christ. And I could, there are so many places in Romans 8 I could go for this, but instead, let's go to 2 Corinthians, but read Romans 8, please do. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He'll do it. God will make, God will make sure you've done what you need to do. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Now, God loves you right where you are, but he's going to take you somewhere else. He's going to move you on. So never draw a little box and say, this is who I am. No, no, no. He, he's got ideas. Let him lead you but he is working in you. You have been established, anointed, and sealed by God. Accept no other opinion other than God's opinion. Take a look at this one, especially apropos now. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to vote, vote but get, in, get educated, think about it, pray about it, and vote. I will never tell you not to vote, and I will never tell you who to vote for. That's not my job. But I will tell you this. Your Savior will never come from D.C. Your Savior will never come from the capital in Nashville. Our Savior, our King, lives elsewhere. He lives in our hearts and through us, we are citizens of heaven now. And we need to remember that. And not panic when this world goes into disorder. We're here as ambassadors of another place. In fact, take a look at this. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. I've not been given a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, we're going to talk more about that next week when we look at 2 Timothy. But gives us power, love, and self-discipline. I've often heard people say, I don't really know what God wants me to do. Well, here we go. Does it mark you with power, love, and self-discipline? Then it's probably from God. Because the devil hates all of those. The only thing he likes about power is if he can grab it. But if our power is in God, we love people because of God, and we discipline ourselves, the devil loses. So go with that. And the Spirit will help you do it. Next passage. 1 John 5, 18. I'm born of God, and the evil one cannot touch me. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. Please let me remind you, that when it says the devil can't harm you, it doesn't mean that he can't mess up your life. What it means is he cannot harm your relationship with God or your salvation. Oh yeah, you can get sick, you can get hurt, you can get persecuted, you can die, but you can't get hurt. <laughs> Sounds weird, but the cross makes that make sense. Because look what happened to Jesus. Did he win? He won. And he's saying, you're going to as well. No fear. No fear. And then, if you've often wondered if you're significant or not, and who hasn't? Do you really want to hang around somebody that's never wondered if they're significant? They were born knowing. No, you, you don't want to hang around them. Most of us have felt inadequate at times. This week, 
I'm going over to Tulsa to the workshop. The Tulsa workshop is a very large gathering of Christians with some of the best speakers in the church and me. And don't, oh boy. And then Terry Rush, one of, one of my heroes, uh, one of the great evangelists of all time, got in touch with me this weekend and he said, I would like for you to come in my office on Thursday morning at seven, at seven. I'm not a Christian till nine. And meet with 15 young preachers to encourage them on their journey. And I'm saying, Terry, have you met me? You know, you know me. Is this, you know, what am I, I'm going to run in there yelling, abandon hope, all ye who enter here. Uh, he says, I, you know, I just love your sense of humor. And I'm going, Terry, Terry. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, I'm going to do it anyway. So it'll be in the news. Uh, you look for it. But I feel inadequate in those things because I don't have degrees in Bible. And I sit around with these guys and they'll be talking about books they've read and oh, this Greek word and this thing. And I'm going, yeah, uh-huh. In my head, I'm thinking squirrel. You know, I, I got nothing. <laughs> so are you significant? God says you are. 1 Corinthians three sixteen. you are God's temple. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Do you understand the significance of this? For, for hundreds of years, the only place to see God was in a, a physical temple. You had to go there. And you had to work through intermediaries. Now God says, you're the temple. Which means, as he told us, if you forgive, they're forgiven. If you bless them, they're blessed. If you don't, they're not. You are the meeting place of God and man. Go bless others. Forgive others. Heal others. Help others. You are mobile temples of God. Do you understand the weight of that? That is amazing. And it's already happened. Take a look at the next one. You are a minister of reconciliation for God. This is your job. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Is here. All of this is from God who reconciled, past tense, us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. By the way, we don't count people's sins against them either. For he has committed us, to us, the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us, temples of God. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's our message. God made him who had no sin to be sinned for us. That's the crosses. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We have a message to do. We don't make a list of enemies because we don't have enemies. We have people we pray for and that we want to reconcile to God. That's who we have. We're different people. We are also God's workmanship. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Just forget the magazines and, and forget the telly and uh, the movies and the like. 
People will say, well, that's, you know, a real woman looks like this and a real man looks like this. No, they don't. They look like you. You are God's workmanship. And you might say, but I don't have that talent or that talent. You know why? Because you don't need it. God gives you the talent and the body you need to be a minister of reconciliation right now. Don't let the world tell you what you should look like or act like. We are Christian. We have a different maker. Ephesians chapter 3, verse, 10, uh, verse 12, rather. You may approach him with freedom and confidence. There's so much more. There's so much more. But Mark, I'm going to... Uh, is it just you or the band? Or bring them all up. Let me step down. Let me tell you one more story. Several of you remember this. John F. Kennedy Jr. was an accomplished pilot. And yet, for some reason, he crashed his plane with his wife and a family friend into the sound between his takeoff and Martha's Vineyard, where they were going. Whenever they finally found the black box, the people kept wondering, how in the world did this happen? It was all pieced together, and yet most people never heard about the final finding of the NTSB. You see, they found that he was under full acceleration as he went into the water. No, it wasn't a suicide. The conversations in the cockpit, he thought he was climbing. He was seeing the reflection of the stars in the water and thinking he was going up. He wasn't trusting his instruments. Don't trust your feelings. Trust facts. When we were learning how to fly, Cammie and I, we used to have a wee plane. We used to be interesting people. We, um, we were taught by sometimes they would put a hood over us to where we couldn't see outside. And then they'd block off the instruments. And they'd say, get it straight and level. And I'd say, I've got it straight and level. He said, you sure? And I'd say, yes, pull off the hood. Never straight and level. Finally, they taught us, look at the instruments. Now, are you straight and level? Yes, pull off the hood, straight and level. The world's got a story to tell you. You don't have to listen to it. It's based on feelings and the opinions of non-experts. Listen to what God did for you and aim for the stars, not the ground. Would you stand with me, please? Remember to pick up the scriptures on your way out the front or they're also on the foyer on the way out the back. But remember this. Listen to the expert. Listen to Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Don't miss Easter. Everything changed. Everything changed. So live like you believe it.